Rate of Change, a podcast from Duke Engineering dedicated to the ingenious ways engineers are solving some of society's toughest problems. I'm Michaela Kane. When you hear the term biomedical imaging, you probably think of tools like ultrasound imaging, which allow us to see things like the growth of a fetus in a pregnant woman, an x-ray to detect a fractured bone, or an MRI, which can spot an injury like an ACL tear or other damage to your ligaments and tendons. These tools can provide clinicians with a large anatomical view of different parts of the human body, but they don't easily allow researchers to zoom in on smaller details and examine things like individual cells. And these tools aren't ideal if you're trying to study things as they move and change, like the level of oxygen consumption across the brain, blood flow across different organ systems, or even the temperature of deep tissues. But that's where Junji Yao and his imaging research come into play. My name is Junji Yao. I'm an assistant professor at Duke BME department. So, you know, we are uh, imaging scientists. So we develop a technology called photoacoustic imaging. Uh, as you can tell by the name, that's uh, a two-part imaging technology. It has both photo, that is uh, light, and acoustics, that's ultrasound. Photoacoustic imaging is a hybrid of light and sound, where researchers will shoot a burst of light into a targeted tissue, and then they'll use an ultrasound probe to read the resulting sound signals. Yao has been working with this tool for more than a decade, and in his lab at Duke, his team is able to use photoacoustic imaging to pursue both basic research and to advance projects that could eventually help patients in the clinic. But the first step of this process involves harnessing the power of light. So it starts with we use laser to excite the tissues, and the photons will travel inside the tissue, and some of them are absorbed by the biomolecules, for example, hemoglobin in the ribosome cells, or melanin on the skin surface, or even DNA and RNA in the cell nuclei. And those molecules absorb some of the light. And the photons, they have energy. Uh, the energy of the absorbed photons is converted into heat. Uh, so we call that photothermal effect. According to Yao, it's basically like collecting one second's worth of summer sunlight and then sending it to an area the size of a single fingernail for a single nanosecond. When the laser light hits the biomaterial, the energy from these photons will cause the tissue to heat up a tiny bit and expand instantaneously. This creates an ultrasonic wave that reverberates through the tissue and is then picked up by an ultrasound sensor. So the, the beginning of the whole story is light get absorbed, and the end of the story is sound is generated. And then we will do a computer reconstruction. And when we receive the signal, we will try to find out where is the sound wave from. Just like the GPS, you drive around, you know where you are. So it's the same story in ultrasound imaging recon. Okay, so we try to find where the sound waves come from originally, and that becomes the imaging reconstruction. And once we have that information, there is following steps like imaging processing and uh, you know, data processing and deep learning is involved so we can extract more information. And so we can convert those kind of boring electric signals into colorful images so people can have a better understanding about what's really going on. We, we love to um, show the oxygenation of the blood with uh, red or blue colors. And red color means it's really uh, oxygenated and blue color means it's less oxygenated. And of course, you know, to be rest assured your blood is never blue but that's just the way we um we show that we demonstrated the contrast when you look at an ultrasound image you typically see a blurry photo that is in various shades of black and gray making it incredibly difficult to decipher small details 
But because photoacoustic imaging works with the full optical spectrum, the resulting images are incredibly colorful and make it much easier to see small details in tissues and cells. And for photoacoustic imaging, we are very sensitive to the colors of the materials, you know, biomaterials or inorganic materials. So we are kind of color sensor. And that is, you know, in the you know, more professional way, it's on the optical absorption of the light because we have different absorption of the light, we have different colors of mm -hmm. all the materials. And photoacoustic is fundamentally sensitive to that contrast. And that is the major difference in terms of the you know, photoacoustic and other technologies. The final images Yao and his team are left with can sometimes look more like abstract art than a visual of biological data, but they can showcase biology at an incredibly wide scale, ranging from individual organelles, cells, or neurons to full muscle tissues and even organs. The imaging tool can also tell researchers about a tissue's anatomical, functional, and metabolic properties. Although this technology seems almost futuristic, the technique's history actually dates back to 1880 with the inventor of the telephone, Alexander Graham Bell. Bell discovered that you could modulate sunlight to create sound waves. He called this phenomenon photoacoustic effect. So basically, it's from light to sound. So it's photoacoustic effect. He, he basically made up that name. And then his first uh, response to that discovery is, okay, so now we can create sound by using light. So can we make a phone call by using this techno uh, discovery? And he, he actually invented this photophone. And he used this technology to make a phone call with his associate, uh, who was 800 yards away. So to use the photophone, someone would project their voice through an instrument towards a mirror. The vibrations in the voice caused similar vibrations in the mirror. Bell would then direct sunlight into the mirror, which captured and projected the mirror's vibrations. The vibrations were then transformed back into sound at the receiving end of the projection. The photophone essentially functioned like the telephone, but rather than use electricity, the photophone used light. Although Bell said that the photophone was his most important invention, the tool didn't catch on like he hoped, because he wasn't ever able to develop a way to protect the light transmissions from outside interference. Things like clouds would often disrupt the light transmission. It was only with the advent of lasers in the 1950s and the stable light source they provided that people began to reevaluate the potential uses of the photoacoustic effect. And then slowly, this technology, this technology evolves with better and better uh, lasers, better and better ultrasound detector, and more, more powerful computers, and more mathematicians joining. They developed you know, the, the uh, imaging reconstruction, and then um, you know, many people are working together, um, materials people, um, chemistry people, and also engineers, and here we are. Now, more than 100 years after the technology was first developed, Yao and his team are exploring ways in which they can improve photoacoustic imaging for the next generation of scientists. I try to summarize the work we're doing as one sentence is we're trying to make photoacoustic imaging faster, smaller, and more colorful. And uh, in terms of faster, you mean one of the imaging to be fast so we can capture dynamics. We can look at a different biological process and without worrying about the motion artifacts. And also uh, we want a system to be smaller. Smaller doesn't mean that's as small as your, you know, a, 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 your iPhone. 
It's like I want it to be more portable, so it can be applied not just for applications can be done in the lab. We can move it around, so for example, uh, to the patient bedside, or uh, you know, um, to monitor uh, freely moving animals, and uh, or we can make it so small it can be inserted into the body cavity to do endos uh, you know, endoscopy study. So um, this is a smaller and more colorful. Again, whatever we do, we want to say uh, we want to gather information about the tissues. And that information can be, um, can be the, uh, for example, the oxygenation of the blood or the temperature of the tissue or the neural activities in the brain. Um, so those information can be extracted from the photoacoustic signals. But how can we do that? It depends on what kind of contrast we use and how we process the data and also uh, how we can combine them together to provide more comprehensive information. And this is the colorful aspect of the research. And uh, in terms of how we apply those technologies for different studies, we have uh, many ongoing projects in the lab. One of these projects explores how the brain responds to stroke. You know, people are working on stroke studies for years, um, but there is a lack of information about how the vessels in the brain respond to stroke at different levels. For example, how does the small vessels respond to the stroke? And how does the big vessels respond to stroke? And how does age plays an impact in this process? Mm -hmm. Old people, young people. So uh, we're studying this uh, you know, microvessel response to the stroke uh, in both young animals and aged animals. And we really find different response in terms of the vessel's uh, impairment and also its restoration in functions. And that's one study uh, we're working on. And another study we're working on is actually quite um, uh, relevant to the uh, clinical management of uh, cardiac arrest. In this project, Yao is exploring the impact that epinephrine has on brain function. Epinephrine is a drug that is commonly given to patients who have experienced cardiac arrest, as it increases blood pressure by constricting blood vessels throughout the body and helps give the heart a boost. It's widely used in hospitals. And everywhere. But there's not much study about how does that drug actually impact people's brain functions. Because, you know, we know it can save the heart, but how about the brain? Mm -hmm. And um, that become a very interesting question to ask and we use photocosmetry to look at how does the drug actually change the brain's uh, functions and we find it's very dramatic. Uh, the heart can, can be revived also damage can be done to the brain just by the drug. Already, the team has used photoacoustic imaging to see that the use of epinephrine in animal models reduces oxygen levels in certain sections of the brain. The team is hopeful that they can use photoacoustic imaging to explore how the drug can be optimized to save the heart without causing any further damage to the brain. Before uh, we look at this question, there is uh, no technology that can do the same job and they are either too um, you know, too, um, too slow, they don't see the response, or they do not um, look at the macro vessels with, with enough resolution. So they don't know what happens to the small vessels, which is really important. Not all of Yao's research is purely clinical. and one of their projects, the lab is actually working with a research subject that's a bit out of the ordinary.
another project, which is very cool and is not about humans. It's about frog. So um, that's on the fundamental side. So it's a very fundamental side and try to address a very fundamental question. Some frogs are naturally transparent. We're not talking about Harry Potter's invisible cloak, but these this kind of frogs, they have their own capability to keep themselves safe. And they are not transparent all the time. They can be transparent sometimes. So it's always a mystery why they are transparent and how they keep transparent. How do they do that? In this collaborative effort, Yao and his team will use photoacoustic imaging to study how these frogs are able to turn themselves transparent without damaging their organs. We use photoacoustic imaging, which is totally non-invasive. It doesn't do anything to the frog, and it's quiet, and uh, you know it's ultrasound. It's, it's you can't hear it, and also you don't have to inject anything into the frog, and that frog can be totally in its uh, natural status. And you know we find out, yeah, they have a very unique way to keep keep their transparency, and this can be potentially significant because, um, again, you see, we are very sensitive to colors, and the photoacoustic imaging is basically sensing the optical absorption. When it's transparent, that means the absorption of the light is minimized. You know, if you're minimized in terms of absorption, you become transparent as well. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the frogs do have that kind of mechanism to make themselves transparent by reducing the absorption of the light it goes through the body. So they have a different ways to, uh, to basically uh, rearrange their organs and um, to filter their blood and to make themselves transparent. Humans have to, for example, rearrange their their blood inside the body, uh, for example, when there is bleeding, then the blood has to be rearranged in the system to basically com compensate for that loss. But that's not so easy for a human. You, uh, if you concentrate too much blood into a single organ, you may have clots, basically block the vessels. But these animals, they don't. Yao and his collaborators are curious to learn how the frogs are able to reorganize their blood flow and organs as they become transparent. Understanding these basic questions, he says, could help them address clinical questions down the road. So I, I believe photoacoustic imaging can be a powerful tool for fundamental work. And we hope we can find more like this very cool, crazy uh, research. And uh, the more I work on this technology, the more I love it. And uh, it is uh, quite um, uh, uh, comprehensive. Uh, you know, you have to learn a lot about light and sound but it's because of that it has a lot of flexibility mm -hmm. so you can really work on different aspect aspects of the technology and you can just be as creative as you want so i stay on this path and i i believe i will stay on this path for the next uh, you know how long tens of years. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of Rate of Change. Remember to follow us on social media for updates and be sure to subscribe. Thanks for listening.